think of Unwound and you're probably thinking of music that falls between concrete genre definitions. It's not really punk rock, it's not hardcore, it's not indie rock, it's not even noise rock. Unwound is the product of a true idea of self-determination in the punk tradition, allowing who you are to be the real governing force in an honest, open, three-way collaboration between drums, bass and guitar. Growing out of the burgeoning political music scene of Olympia, Washington, Unwound created a unique sound out of the idiosyncrasies of its three protagonists. Vern Rumsey, a bassist inspired as much by nastiness as by melody. Drummer Sarah Lund, whose propulsive playing underpinned the band's identity. And Justin Trosper, whose voice and guitar embellished the remaining space with everything from elegant restraint to aggressive, scissoring discord. A contemporary of Unwound's in the Pacific Northwest music scene at the time, Jason Reese witnessed the band evolve from local party band to a compelling force in alternative music through their 10-year career, and in their 1993 Kill Rock Stars debut Fake Train, discovered a blueprint for the kind of band he imagined being in himself. It would be a few years before he moved to Austin, Texas and put together And You Will Know Us by the Trail of Dead, but the musical path he was able to beat through the coming decades was in many ways indebted to the uncompromising take on punk rock that bands like Unwound forged in the early 1990s. guest Jason Reese. How's it going? So you've picked Unwound's fake train, right? Yes. I'm guessing that you have some personal attachment, do you, to Unwound? Because didn't you live in Olympia at one point? Um, yes. And uh, in a lot of ways, uh, they were sort of peers, you know. Uh, we were around each other quite a bit. Uh, I saw like one of their first shows. I knew them as like kind of a party band. They were called Giant Henry. Okay at first and then when it became more serious it it was unwound right you moved to olympia right from what was it hawaii yeah i did what year was that that was a 1990 i was 19 years old very young i guess just i moved to olympia because conrad who from trail of dead who i started a band with like later on he moved there and went to high school there right and he said Oh man, you gotta live in Olympia. I just saw Fugazi play <laughs> oh, in, okay. in Melvin's, and for me, Hawaii was like so isolated. You couldn't see anything like that. Yeah. So he was already watching bands, and he was just saying, "This is the place to to be." Yeah, because you know he he would kind of write me letters, and told he told me about this show that he saw of this band called Beat Happening, and then there was Fugazi, and of yeah. course Fugazi was kind of the band that we were both into mm-hmm. to me Fugazi were like kind of a huge deal so I was like if I can see bands like Fugazi and Scream and you know touring bands I guess yeah um, that wouldn't wouldn't yeah. want to go to Hawaii <laughs> right and then Seattle seemed a little too big for me mm-hmm. it's such a bigger city yeah from what I was used to so I thought Olympia was a good way to not get lost so this is all kind of like rock folklore now but like this is what Kurt Cobain did, right? He moved to Olympia, didn't he? Around that yeah, time. Yeah, that, that's funny because he he lived down the street, you know, about four or five blocks away mm-hmm. from me, and I lived in in this place called the Angelus, which is like a flop house, basically, like a Charles Bukowski, you know, nightmare. It's like <laughs> you know people doing heroin in some of the rooms. Wow! But it was cheap, mm. and I lived above this this record store called Positively Fourth Street Records, and it was like every crazy record was there and these guys knew their music and you would see Kurt Cobain hanging out there right like not a big deal sure well he was playing shows like everyone at that point right just around town and stuff yeah I think like Bleach was definitely out and there was kind of a a reverence you know definitely people knew that you know this Nirvana was special but they didn't know you know to what degree you know how big it would get I've been reading some unwound interviews I think there's one where it's Justin and Toby Vale talking and of course they're all going, yeah, you know, never mind, we heard the demos, we knew it was a good record, we just didn't know it was going to be that big, you know. 
everyone sort of respected the record, but it turned into something else, didn't it, after that? Yeah, it was funny. Um, they must have had the recordings earlier on because I remember being at this place, the Capitol Theater, which all the bands would play there, and someone put it on the PA system before a band. It right. was like, this is the new Nirvana, <laughs> and we're all like, what? <laughs> yeah, know? yeah. So Unwound were... Tell me your story about hearing this record. Well, um, you know, Unwound was playing a lot, and they were you know, definitely the local band, and we would go see them at house parties and you know we were all relatively friends and so i guess when fake train came out on kill rock stars it was like kind of this evolved version of the band so we were all taken aback for us it was like just raw and you know it just had this intensity and we were i think all of us you know in town were like into it was it like, wow, that a band has actually stepped up a level and you've been just, you know, messing around at parties and suddenly someone's come out of a record where it sounds like they're achieving, you know? Right. I mean, I think if you're looking at it, Kill Rock Stars was kind of like starting to put out really, really solid records, you know, with Bikini Kill. And I think Unwound followed pretty shortly. So yeah. it seemed like the roster of Kill Rock Stars is starting to become very serious, um, some influential music that was being made yeah and the politics right of that time and that place that was all floating around right yes there was definitely this you know the kill rock stars label had a very riot girl centric vibe to it and there was you know politics in olympia were very kind of intertwined with the music there's always something talked about you know like some political issue vegan politics feminism there was always like we grew up with this music that seemed to be wrapped with politics and i think that's the discord records influence you could tell that everybody was into punk rock that was you know they were into discord records they were heavily influenced by fugazi you know the diy attitude was was like very very important to olympia yeah at the time so you guys were in a band what was happening with you at that point i was in a really horrible band it was called Honey Bucket. It was, it was like a punk band. But then I formed another band that went on to kill rock stars called Muckle Teal Fairies. And that was about the same time that Fake Train was out. And Muckle Teal Fairies was like a, a gay hardcore band. We play like these crusty punk shows that were kind of just insane. And the music was uh, kind of just this short, violent blast of just noise, you know. <laughs> and it was fun to play. Yeah, I bet. Unwound, now we look at them and they're well-respected, but they're right. almost kind of a bit of a footnote in a certain way to the idea of Olympia and that scene. Were they leading the way for you in, in a sense? Or was it just like, this is one of the things that was an inspiration for you? Well, I kind of thought of them as like the super important band for me. And it definitely influenced the way Trail of Dead started, you know, the way we started writing music and we were super inspired by Fake Train because of the rawness and kind of like the uh, angular obscure noise that would come out and the lyrics are very very bleak you know but they were kind of like about living in olympia in a lot of ways yeah i spent a fair amount of time with this record and i listened to a few of the later records and obviously there's a progression with their sound right but i didn't really hook into the lyrics probably back in the day i don't know right. about unwound but did right. were they the kind of band that put the lyrics in the sleeve i would have thought not yeah they it seemed like the lyrics were kind of more obscure because i just going to make an assumption that maybe Justin, the singer, didn't really want to make it so plain, you know, and so easily accessible. Sure. Well, I've read some things that a couple of times he says the music writes the words for right. him. So it's more like phrasing things that sound right to the music rather than having a list of words that you want to try and put into it. I kind of gather that too. With Fake Train, it seems like the, you know, there's like lyrics about being in small town Olympia, dealing with sort of a weird tension between the locals that were kind of like rednecky and these weirdo kids, right. you know? And the artiness of these kids going to these house parties, it would seem like, you know, for the locals that we were sort of aliens, you know? Yeah, freaks. What's really ironic about, especially when you look at, Seattle and in inverted commas from that time and uh -huh. how that's like the golden age of rock right. and you know even in middle America you turn on the radio and they're playing things that were probably written in Seattle in the early 90s you know Pearl Jam and stuff uh -huh. like that right. but to actually grow up there and, and be a part of that scene you yeah. weren't included in the mainstream that wasn't like an accepted kind of lifestyle really was it? 
No, I don't think so. I, I think, you know, Seattle and the whole grunge thing was like an entirely different animal. It was kind of like these rock Adonises, you know, Chris Cornell or whatever. They, they just seemed like, I don't, it just seemed... So it jocks. Seemed, there's jock, yeah, they were like kind of the jock, jockey <laughs> kind of dudes, you know. And Olympia was like the nerds, you know, like the gangly, you know, outcasts that, I don't know. I mean, it's I know it's kind of cliche, but in this sense... It was real, you know. You could go walking around Olympia, and there would be like some crazy redneck who would throw, you know, some beer bottles at you, you know, yells things at you. But that kind of made Olympia yeah. sort of, I guess, made its music scene in a yeah. lot of ways. One of the articles I found says, and I'm going to quote it: "If you loved Nirvana or Fugazi, you had to share them with the same people who kicked the shit out of you in high school." <laughs> but Unwound was a private cult, and I think that's a really nice way of looking at like the two different parts that were, yeah. were kind of like happening at the same time. Kurt came out of that scene arguably, but, right. but his music was super accessible, um, whether he kind of planned that or not. Mm -hmm. Whereas a lot of what was going in Olympia was obviously not accessible and, and remains now to people's now, ears. I think like the idea, the aesthetic of Olympia was to be raw and not to uh, make everything overly produced. And if you made something super slick, it just seemed kind of shallow and fake. So, you know, the rawness was this aesthetic that people tried to cling on yeah. to. I mean, and I don't think they were thinking about it. It's not, it was a subconscious thing in a mm. lot of ways. Unwound, how did they fit with that sort of right girl thing? I know that it was important for them, like the all-age thing, kind right. of to, to, to be aligned with that. But kind of musically, when you listen to it, to me, it feels slightly separate from that. Is that fair? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, Unwound was definitely influenced by, like, Black Flag and Jesus Lizard, and they did, you know, Unwound would touch on politics, but it was kind of obscure, you know, like, writing about, like, MK Ultra, mm -hmm. you know, or yeah. Yeah. something very esoteric in a lot of ways. But I think, personally, they were a part of, like, of everybody that was, you know, doing the Riot Girl thing, yeah. you know, but not necessarily making it like this obvious like statement yeah like uh, it wasn't overt no it wasn't yeah. overt at all well they had a girl drama and that mm -hmm. was and i think that's a way that was obvious sort of visually at least like you know this isn't just a bunch of dudes playing rock music right the other thing that struck me about kind of looking at some of the videos is that they're kind of dressed very kind of casually and normally there's no sort of uniform there is there it's that they're like regular kids in a way in a way i mean i think the uniform was more like a again like a washington dc influence you know the punks mm. didn't have like mohawks in dc they were they kind of dressed more like i don't know in t-shirts and yeah you know so it's kind of like kicking against like this mm -hmm. stylized idea of punk rock. right yeah i mean that was always kind of laughed at you know <laughs> you know punk rock seemed like you know like when you're thinking of, like black flag was, yeah. it was a perfect example yeah, like okay. anything on sst just it seemed like these sort of poor kids with, you know, who can only afford like a couple of t-shirts and, exactly. know, right, and right. all that. I'm curious just because if I think of Trailer Dead, when you were starting to get kind of well known, you did have a look, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was black that stayed your kind of look, right? It's, right. it reminded me of almost the sixties beat thing in a way the kind of look of the band right yeah like, early like, on we had a very mod look we were very into like the who and, yeah but that that was there in olympia too you okay. know i feel like that that was kind of girls were dressing in more retro clothing mm -hmm. you know it would just seem like thrift stores were like where you you got everything but it's interesting that uh, you know i can hear the way that unwound is kind of might have inspired like early trailer dead right but in terms of like the look and like the stage performance, they're so opposite, aren't they? You know, you're a band that were just chaos and right. like smashing things up, and and unwound is just playing. It's like it's quite concentrated. Like there's no like artifice there, is there? Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's unwound live is a it was a different thing to me. Um, they did have moments where they were like losing their shit and mm. just going you know, crazy on stage, but that was kind of earlier on. And I think, yeah, when they started making more of these serious pieces of work, you know, these albums, I feel like that they were trying to uh, find a way to be serious about the music and, and really focus on the music. Yeah, okay. For me, that there was still, like, I guess because I've seen Unwound in the early periods and there was, like, kind of a looseness to it. Some of these house parties were just, like, cathartic, 
crazy little revivals, you know. It's it's hard to explain unless you were there. You, know? <laughs> you were there. Uh-huh. We just have the records, I suppose, of that. Right. That's what is left, well, you know, apart from YouTube videos, which right. is increasingly a way that you can look back at bands. Right. You mentioned that, you, you know, they were kind of like a party band initially. And right. then this record is the first one that Sarah played on. Yeah. So do you remember, like, that period of unwound and like what they sounded like with her now playing the drums and that kind of like was a shift for them i definitely felt that there was a shift i remember it seeing sarah play for the first time and it was like you know it was another house party you know and um you just knew that that they were definitely going to be touring and that there was going to be a record and that i guess i just feel like the things started becoming more and more glued together and, and musically and maturing, I guess, in a way. Yeah, and she's such a great drummer. That's, yeah, she's that's, awesome. Like you say, mm-hmm. she is the glue. If you think of like writing music yeah. to the way she plays the drums, because it's got so much groove to it. And yeah, definitely. It's, and sort of swing in the kick drum. and She is definitely an influence on me as far as drumming goes. I mean, maybe I don't play like her, mm. But I was definitely inspired by yeah. her, her drumming. You yeah. know, it was one of those moments, and and definitely Vern, you know, with his bass playing, they're all like so incredible. Yeah, as far as like musicians go, you know, they definitely there's like a Sonic Youth influence, but there's just something special and different about mm. about what they were doing. Like you say, they're all so unique. Each right. one of them has a style which is definitely. them. Yeah, Vern's playing. It's like it's heavy, but it's mm-hmm. so kind of like tuneful. At the Definitely. same time, I, and I, I love that. And of course, the guitar playing is like, it's quite subtle, you know, that whammy bar stuff, which yeah. you don't hear much on that kind of music, right? Really, yeah, and sonically weird, and it's kind of sitting underneath, yeah, it's very layered, you yeah. know, in a lot of different ways. Like Sarah would be playing a certain groove, Vern is kind of playing with her, but then he's off doing this melody, and yeah. then the guitars are just intertwining yeah. with all of that, so it's it's unique in a lot of ways. When I, you know, kind of casually first heard Unwound, it didn't sound like a three-piece to me. Like you say, the layers of it, it sounds like a bigger band than just three people. Definitely. Just because of the sort of melodic layers of it. Right. And the drumming is a good example, you know, like a lot of hardcore drummers will be playing like a lot more like on the (laughs) two and the four. But her playing is so sort of open and there's so much space in it that that in itself kind of creates like a melodic space for, for everyone. And there's definitely experiments and odd time signatures, you know, stuff that doesn't happen in hardcore. No, you're right. (laughs) Is there a song in particular that um, kind of stands out for you in terms of starting a band and like the way this might have inspired you and you talked about Trailer Dead? Well, I'd say the first track, is it Dragnolis? Yeah. That just kind of like hit me as like, this is what it's like to live in Olympia in 1991 or two or whatever. And just kind of like going, man, you know, like the only thing you have looking forward to is, is... Maybe seeing your friend's band play, maybe Calvin Johnson beat happening is gonna he's gonna put on a festival. Yeah, it's like feast or famine in Olympia. Okay, so, you know you're kind of like waiting. It's a small town, so right. so it's kind of like this may have been a signpost of some good things happening in Olympia or, or right. like the road out of Olympia. Right? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, let's hear this.
were just actually you were asking me about what bands that I might have been into from the northwest right at the time and I was definitely a big bikini kill fan but I don't know that I really would have put it all together at the time I, later on I did have that kill rock stars sampler record okay that unwound her on right and I guess uh bikini kill were on it and witchy poo and jad fair and ev- yeah. everything right. basically everything that was olympia i suppose was on that yeah. record you when did you leave olympia because there was you'd let you did leave right you're, you're not there now yeah yeah <laughs> um i left in 1994 well basically 95 it was december of 94 and that's kind of like when my texas sort of education started what was the mood there at the time? I mean, you were moving on naturally or was there this sense that like, it's not going to happen here, we need to kind of transplant somewhere? I think there were several factors. I was in a relationship, the relationship ended, and Olympia seemed to be going through a lot of like painful like moments of just felt like it wasn't as special as it was, you know, in 1990. 91, you know, Kurt Cobain passing mm-hmm. or whatever. It all seemed very dark. Yeah. So it sure. felt like there was like this darkness and it was raining a lot and it was cold and you're just like, I don't know if I can deal with this anymore. So Texas, Austin, Texas, just, I had a friend who lived down here and he said, man, you got to come down here. There's shows, sun, heat. You know, the guy didn't have to sell me on it. I was already ready to get out of okay. Olympia. Was there a sense that the kind of spotlight that was on Olympia was, was kind of moving off? Or was it more that um, when Kurt Cobain died, that was kind of a horrible time there, right? And yeah. a dark time for anyone who was sort of into music at that time. I remember it myself. And Kristin Pfaff from Hole dying as well, I mean, right? Well, you know, there is a dark secret, you know, or whatever heroin was kind of it just felt like that there was people dabbling in that and, and you know just there was a there was a lot of like darkness surrounded with that culture you know and i don't know the northwest can be like this david lynch movie sometimes you know <laughs> it's just something like a like that maybe blue velvet you know there's something yes. just really ominous and well, strange and dark and weird twin peaks isn't it set up there pretty much yeah because i once went out to the to the waterfall that's in the credits or something. It's called Snoqualmie Falls. Yeah, Snoqualmie Falls. And yeah, that was a very wet day. I could, you say it's like David Lynch and that's, some people go, that sounds awesome. But of course, the flip of that is it's also going to be dark and like horrible. I think for me, I had enough of David Lynch and I wanted, you know, Richard Linkletter. Okay. <laughs> you know, I wanted slacker. I wanted to be like, I wanted to be relaxed, chill and Texas barbecue, yeah. you know, sunshine, sunshine, emos where it was free and yeah, right, <laughs> you know. And you've been here ever since. Yeah, I yeah. can't leave. I don't know. I mean, it's changed so much. Austin is definitely a different place, you know, from '95, and we all know that. And I'm, definitely, there was more of a community, a music community that was more tight knit and smaller. So, in a lot of ways, it did kind of have like a, an Olympia vibe to it. Punk rock sort mm-hmm. of community mark two for you, right? And it's funny because you know in your podcast you have Chris from Explosions in the Sky, and you mm-hmm. and then you did one with Andrew, mm-hmm. and those are all people that you know, we've all hung out together and played shows together. And yeah, well, you were the community. I, mm-hmm. I'm guessing like in the late '90s here, right? Yeah, definitely. But these bands are all quite different. It's funny how they were all very different, but they would interact and hang out. Yeah. Know? Which is how a community should be. It's right. not just tribal. You should right. all support each other. Definitely. Talking about Unwound, this is a, a record where you can obviously hear like the Fugazi kind of stuff. Right. And then there's this whole other side, which is the kind of like really downbeat, melodic sort uh-huh. of instrumental section. Definitely. And I talked to Chris a bit about this, you know, this whole idea kind of after Fugazi of... Right, music being a much more open proposition, you know, you could sort of go in many directions. That the proof is unwound in a way, you know. Yeah, they're probably one of the first bands to kind of go the extremes, go for something completely loud and aggressive, heavy, and then go into this more prettier pastoral moments. You mm-hmm. know, you know, they would ride the line, and sometimes it was very um, angular and and 
and you know kind of abrasive it's sort of a there's some atonal that's what i meant yeah. yeah so this atonality to it and you guys definitely had a bit of that i mean you've always had that right i didn't look into the the unwound tunings did you know what tunings they were doing or did, when you came across tunings that must have been around the same sort of time right Pretty much. Um, I think that's when we started experimenting with, with open tuning. And I'm sure Unwound was definitely influenced by Sonic Youth on this. And I know we were. And it's just because if you tune a guitar a certain way, you get a, a unique sound. And I think that's why we we were experimenting with just creating our own tunings, you know, yeah. just seeing where it would go and where it would lead. And I think Unwound used some open tunings. Yeah, know? I think a lot of it's in mm -hmm. open tunings. But it's interesting when you kind of get into tunings, because two roots, you can kind of like study all the internet pages and try and find the tunings. And But the other one I think is more normal in a way is just like try stuff, see what sounds right. Yeah, I think that's, we're not very musically educated, so I think that's how it works. Yeah. Know? Do you still use tunings? Yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely, we still to this day and it's kind of like one of those things where you know you got to work work at it <laughs> because there's a lot of uh changing of guitars yeah. throughout a live set but you know when you're recording it's so much fun you know yeah. because you're definitely free to do that that song and, mm. and record with that tuning mm. and not worry about the logistics yeah i love doing it and i did it a lot in young legionnaire mm -hmm. we always tried to keep the tunings fairly close to standard so that you could just drop into them on right. stage. That's the thing about doing tunings when you're starting out as a band. You're not going to have a rack of 16 guitars no. behind you. <laughs> so you've either got to keep that tuning going. And I think a lot like Blonde Redhead are like a band where a lot of it's just in that tuning. Yeah. Or that it's got to be close tunings that you can go to and you can remember what they are. I think for us, the one way we would plan a set is through the, the tunings. Yeah. Can we segue into this? Mm. So it doesn't seem like we're sitting there for the next five minutes tuning our guitars. Exactly. And this is, you know, when we were on our own without the help of these guitar tech people. Yeah, <laughs> those guys. <laughs> yeah, I would still do that. I mean, I had a, a show a couple of weeks ago and we had two guitars and I have one bass. So everything's got to be, I mean, I'm quite happy. I know there are people who would much rather just swap right. guitars every time. A lot of the songs, the bass isn't the first thing, so I've got at least like four bars <laughs> to work with. In terms of like Unwound's catalogue, is this still your favourite one or is it just the one from that time? Well, you know, like repetition and um, new plastic ideas, those are all good. I mean, I think just Fake Train was sentimentally my rec go-to record because yeah. to this day I still come back to it. Yeah. And I think it's because it reminds me of a time. You know, it reminds me of a, like a special moment in time in, in Olympia and and how we were all like sort of these young idealistic kind of going for this DIY ethic, you know, and this, you know, trying to, to stay away from the mainstream, you know, sort of like in a, in a sense where you, you're not going against the mainstream, but you're just separating yourself. Yeah. You're not, you're not, you're not even bothering with the mainstream. You're just forming your own world in a, in a lot of ways. I'm going to suggest we listen to Cantina. You know, we talked uh -huh. a bit about how heavy and atonal yeah. the Unwound were as a band, but there's some magic that happens melodically. Definitely. And this is a really good example of Unwound sort of like musicality, I guess. <laughs>
lyrically seems like it's almost like you know desperation love or something you know based on a relationship okay so it's almost like a heartbreak song yeah heartbreak song the lyrics are resigned to sit behind the others smile it's not so bad to be the only one wait wait don't go stay please stay please yeah. you know that's very it's very lovelorn <laughs> but it's down in the mix and a lot yeah. of those things will be screeched out and you right. can't you can't make them out necessarily. right <laughs> that's the beauty of post hardcore 90s music is that who knows what they were singing about you know but you could kind of feel the emotion from it there's from angst it. there is this teenage angst that it's there i'm sure if justin probably cringes on these lyrics but like at the time they were pretty honest you know and i feel like that they were you know heartfelt there was nothing um i guess trivial or shallow or they were all very earnest you know there's no kind of fronting involved right it's, now this is who we are i suppose and yeah and if you think about like all the bands that became like the emo <laughs> scene or whatever like the whole that whole world yeah. where the singer is crying his heart out and it's just like and it just seems so fake and <laughs> wrong you know it just seems really fabricated there's a spectrum isn't there because you think of that stuff, you know, what, what emo means right. now to people. Yeah, yeah. Well, there was a time when emo wasn't a dirty word. I'm sure, like most kind of genres, nobody who was actually part of that genre would actually admit to it. But no, no. Emotional hardcore, which is what it technically <laughs> Rise was Rise of Spring for. were the, like the, the first to do it. Exactly. Yeah. And I suppose bands like Promise Ring and, mm -hmm. and things like that really good bands like doing right. a really honest and really kind of valuable thing i kind of feel like that at the time definitely it was kind of like a, f a joke you know oh you're so emo but you know the music definitely stemmed from i guess tapping in to the darker parts of your you know your brain your sure. heart whatever you just and being completely flat out honest you know yeah. and not being afraid to be honest and and now we live in a, such an ironic kind of state. You know, everything is, is silly if you're going to, like, wear your heart on your sleeve. But I think yeah. at the time, it felt honest and real, you know? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, everything's emo now, in inverted commas, in a way. I played this song because I love melodically what, what it was doing. Right. And it did remind me, actually, of some of that stuff on the first Trailer Dead record. My favorite track on that record, Navina. Without Faith? Yeah, that just yeah. that lovely sort of the chords to it and just the progression of it and, and you definitely did have those kind of open-ended sections right when you started out right definitely that was uh you know we were really really into to noise and feedback and but we wanted to incorporate beauty with that beauty yes that's exactly the I, word i was I thinking. think that's kind of like the where you know trail of dead tried to attain beauty as well as some sort of feedback loudness that you know something that we wanted to get out of our heads you know mm. and I, I something that you couldn't quite articulate but if you just bang on the guitar enough it'll it'll happen yeah and that's kind of what i wanted to do when i started making music yeah i, I wanted to make a racket but not just kind of stupidly i wanted it to sort of be pointed at something or like a, an exactly. expression of something right i think those are my favorite records they're, they're the ones that have a point you know and they're not just a hodgepodge of of songs but there is a thought out plan you know obviously if you look at some of the later unwound stuff yeah it became more crafted definitely like leaves turn inside is it's the highlight of their career and and that's the album that people say that's just like the pinnacle of their talent yeah. you know which is the last mm -hmm. record right yeah it, it's it's very conceptual i guess i always thought fake train had you know, it definitely had a movement. It felt like it was all naturally pointing to something. Mm. You only have to listen to that song, Cantina, and the, mm -hmm. it segues into a kind of largely instrumental song to know that, you know, from the beginning, this wasn't the first record they actually recorded because they did one with their original drummer, didn't they? Mm -hmm. But still fairly on for the band, they've definitely got structure involved right. sort of musically, and I think that's interesting. Some quotes that I've got about people describing Unwound. In some of the songs, there's no payoff except the lack of payoff, which <laughs> I really liked. You know, because grunge, which is, again, another very vague, of generic course. term, a lot of those grunge records, grunge singles, had that 
hook or the bit where the distortion kicks in and and were structured on purpose like that right very well crafted pop moments yeah right yeah you don't really get that in unwound and it's more like a band where you have to put the record on let it sink in come back to it but there's definitely you know as we've already talked about there's yeah. great melodic moments they're just right. sort of hidden away a bit aren't they i think yeah you definitely have to invest time with this record it's not something you just oh, i'm going to casually put this on and i think those are the best records for me you don't always get it in the first run and you come back to it and there are little things that start popping up and you know you definitely see the nuances and that to me makes a great record yeah i said that there was a, there in a there's a sense that they're a sort of footnote to that time but right. i don't think you necessarily agree because you were there and you saw them in the moment but i definitely see what you're saying because they definitely toured around the world and they they were very active but i definitely feel like not a lot of people are aware of their existence you know that's kind of the sad thing for some bands you know maybe it'll take 10 more years and <laughs> some young folks will discover it you know yeah i kind of feel like a band like can you know mm-hmm. they were like probably not even thought about for like 20 years and then now like people are like so influenced by yeah, can yeah that's interesting. You know, obviously this podcast is one example, you know, mm-hmm. we're talking about this band again. They've re-released most of their back catalogue and more and kind of like big box sets. Right. Which is no doubt kind of made them a bit more sort of visible, I suppose. Yeah, and that just happened like this past couple of weeks, yeah. right? I just saw a thing in Fact magazine that's talking about one of these re-release box sets. So they're starting to get into the conversation again. They were one of those bands that kind of just faded away, you know. They never really made this huge, mm. you know, impact. But then people are rediscovering Unwound. They, as a band, they created this archive of their own material online. So there's an Unwound archive. Right. And it's sort of a gigography and there's links to videos and so on and so forth that was a project they felt was quite important to kind of preserve not necessarily their legacy but their at least their memories of right. being in the band their history yeah right. an interesting thing that came up in an article i read this guy sort of mentions in passing that some people might say that the 90s ended on september 11th 2001 this idea that the 90s are sort of this kind of golden age in a way for people of a certain generation and we were living through that but 9-11 was a moment when you couldn't really be an artist anymore you weren't really thinking about the world in the same terms weren't you on tour when that happened well we were going to go to new york city on september 12th to play cmj basically a month later we took explosions in the sky on tour their first tour ever right and we went to new york city and played basically down the street from the World Trade Center. Okay. And it was still smoldering, and it was crazy. Yeah. You know, and we had to drive through all these roadblocks and deal with the military, <laughs> you know, explosions in the sky. Kind of got harassed a little bit. As you can imagine yeah. that they might, mm-hmm. given the name. I mean, even four years later, I, I remember getting stopped at an airport because I was wearing a Death From Above t-shirt, but that's another, <laughs> another story. <laughs> so apparently Unwound had a show booked in New York on September 12th, and it was around about the time that they basically just called it a day, I think. The gist of this article is that this event may or may not have had some impact on their career and and on music in general, but it's certainly a part of their story. And for bands that may have been touring or like active at that period, that everything sort of changed. Yeah, I mean, I, I could definitely see, like for them, because they've been at it for a while, it was such a big impact you know that day and just like you said they were in new york city or they were i think they had a show booked possibly Uh in new york city or or in boston and they were on on tour and it wouldn't surprise me that it definitely had an influence how could you not i mean everything changed so much yeah do you think sort of subconsciously bands changed what they were kind of singing about or their outlook on kind of like culture at that (laughs) time it's a big question yeah it's it definitely, from our band, it definitely changed things. We wrote an album called Worlds Apart, and it was, like, influenced by all, all of what mm. was going on, mm. you know? The coolest thing about, like, 90s music is that 
it didn't have to like fit in the box and i think things definitely changed in the 2000s everything started being very very pop oriented and super structured to fit on an mp3 mm. basically mm. everything's cyclical so that yeah. those things may well have come about anyway you know i was in a band probably around that time right. but i didn't start gigging until maybe a year or two later so my story is a different story really but yeah. um yeah i certainly think people probably weren't thinking about music in the aftermath of that event quite in the same way right how could you i can only speak for for what we were a part of and i mean for us we we wanted to reflect on what was going on yeah it drove us wild that i feel like there was nobody really talking about it mm. i mean we wrote a song called worlds apart which is basically talking about uh american foreign policy and materialism and how mtv at the time was just so vapid you know <laughs> Yeah, we were, you know, we were on our little podium for yeah. a moment, you know. But I guess there's kind of an escapism in, yeah. in a sense. Nobody wants to go and see a band who's going to be browbeating people when right. you've just been browbeaten in the worst I think way. That's, yeah, exactly. There was some escapism involved. Yeah, you know? I guess Murray Street, the Sonic Youth record, is uh -huh. so they had their studio right in that area, so they had a very personal connection to that. And again, yeah. as you say, it's a very reflective record, isn't it? Mm -hmm. That record is quite downbeat. Unwound broke up about 2002, I think, mm -hmm. and and haven't played since. But it seems like the members of the band are all involved in these re-releases and they're all very much sort of in tune to what they were. And there's a still a conversation going, uh, which is interesting. Yeah, course. I think that the, the thing is Unwound didn't um, break up and they're all, you know, bitter enemies. I think they're all very, <laughs> they're still pretty, pretty much friends. You know, families happen and... You know, people start raising kids and, you know, again, like we were talking about earlier, do you really want to go on tour all the time yeah. um, when you have a couple of kids at home in a relationship? Exactly. And it's one thing to kind of be in an organization where you've got maybe some backing mm -hmm. or label support, but for Unwound, there wouldn't have been anything like there, that. Yeah, there's no money in, involved with the label, you know, the label had a limited budget i'm sure and that's how they they survived is through limited funds and exactly. i think that produced some of the the best music you know that's kind of a 90s thing obviously you know there are still mm -hmm. bands if you're young enough mm -hmm. you'll get up and get in a van and you'll do it it seems like that was like a, a time of discovery for bands to get on the road and just go and play shows and there wasn't any heaviness around it it was just like we're a guitar band, this is kind of what we do. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you know, it seemed like that's what you would do. you build a loft in your van, and, you know, I think basically Black Flag kind of created the touring book, and you just kind of, you took it from there, and you didn't need to have radio airplay. <laughs> you just went in your van and, and booked shows and hoped for the best, you mm. know? They seemed to squeeze in quite a lot of records into that period. I right. mean, there's, what, seven or something. Yeah. Unwound Records, so there's a lot to listen to. One more track off of this record, anything comes to mind? I have one that I might suggest. Yeah. Pure Pain Sugar, I really like the aggression in this. And uh, there's yeah. a really math riff hook thing that happens right. in this, which always throws me every time I listen to it. It just suddenly comes like half a beat too early, but it sounds <laughs> awesome. It's supposed to be there, but yeah. it throws me where it comes <laughs> in. Cool, yeah, I'm into it.
Well, Jason, it was a pleasure having you in. Thanks for coming in and, and picking this record. I've enjoyed it. It was great to talk about a really underrated record and maybe a lot of people out there never heard of it and hopefully it'll influence. Yeah, that's part of the point of this is like it's recommending and celebrating less well-known music. Mm-hmm.